Hey, thank you, Gideon. Just want to start by welcoming all the parents. I'm not going to do it by name because there are too many of you. But uh, it is always very exciting when parents come and experience some of the atmosphere in the Talmud Torah that their children are having. I'll also say, given the nature of parental professions this year, we now could also open a medical clinic if we'd like. But uh, we will, uh, we're very happy to have you. Okay, that's the first thing I'll say. Secondly, Yoni, as the sheets are going around, I'm just going to say, do not be intimidated by the source sheet. Okay, normally it's two-sided. It happens to be four-sided this time, so maybe it'll look like, oh my God, we're going to read a lot of Hebrew words. We are not going to read most of what's on the source sheet. Okay, so do not let it scare you, but we will give it out. Okay, and lastly, just a little introduction, uh, most of yeshiva learning takes place in smaller groups, right? You have your morning rebbe, and you have different afternoon choices, and it's often a function of interest and level and things like that, but it's nice that there's certain times of the week when the whole yeshiva has a learning experience together. So that is every Thursday at 11, we have a sheer quality experience where the entire yeshiva is together, which we will now uh, start. Okay, so we're going to discuss rabbinic authority today. And of course, one of the things rabbis do is they make mitzvot to Rabbanan, rabbinic mitzvot. And it's a pretty straightforward idea in our tradition that differentiating between levels of mitzvot is important. That it really matters, is something doraita, a Torah prohibition, a Torah command? Is it rabbinic? Or maybe it's even less, maybe it's a custom. And we have certain test cases that seem to work. What would be a standard test, test case if something is doraita or Rabbanan? Suffolk, we have a famous wolf, I'm not sure. If I'm not sure if I did a biblical commandment, I do go back and do it again. That is more weighty. But if I'm unsure about a rabbinic commandment, then in theory I could just let it be. So where would might this be manifest? Let's say, I'll do a classic example. You, you, you go out to Mamila, you have a great lunch. Somehow the conversation was so interesting, you can't remember if you benched or not. Okay, what would we say? You should bench, right? Because Berkut Amazon is actually biblical. So, right, so you would in fact say Berkut Amazon again. Okay, but what if instead you went to Papagayo and despite overeating, okay, you uh, only had shahakol the entire time, okay, and now you can't, you, now your stomach hurts so much you can't remember if you said a brain of fushot yet. Okay, what would you say, guys? Nothing. Nothing, why? Brain of fushot is rabbinic. And Savik Durban Lakel. Okay, so this is a pillar of the Lachic system that the writers have different strategies and status than Durban. Okay, well, good so far? Okay, great. Let us go to so, a Gemara about where rabbinic authority comes from. So there's Gemara Masechet Shabbat that's discussing Ner Hanukkah, and it wants to know what bracha do you make on Ner Hanukkah. So this is source one. The Gemara says, My Mavarik, what bracha do you make? Actually, before we get this, sorry guys, I have to check my general knowledge of Shan Aleph students. Okay, if you are alumni or Shanabet or a parent, you're ineligible for this one, okay? Now the Gemara discusses Hanukkah in Masechet Shabbat. That's its long discussion. Why does it not discuss it in Masechet Hanukkah? Jack? Yes, because there is no Masechet Hanukkah. Very good. Okay, where's your mom? Okay, a little parental pride again. Okay. What? Okay. Oh, and your dad's right there too. Great. Okay, so in any case, where do you get the puns from? Your mom or your dad? It's your, it's your own thing. Okay, so in any case, um, it's very interesting that Moed, which has a Masechah for almost all the holidays, has one for Purim, obviously, Masechah Megillah, and does not have one 
for Hanukkah. There is no Masechet Hanukkah. Hanukkah comes up only tangentially in the Mishnah. So it's not my topic right now, but it's worthy to think about a little bit. Why does Hanukkah not merit its own Masechet? Okay, Jen, do you have a thought already? Okay, great. So let's go back over here. So here, so why, why does it come up in Shabbat? It's very simple. Shabbat's discussing oil and wicks and candles for Friday night lights. That leads to a classic Gemara tangent association. Oh, if these are the wicks you use for Shabbat. What wicks would you use for Hanukkah? Next thing you know, there are three pages about Hanukkah. Fine. So what prophet do you make? What are we saying to God? You commanded us to light Hanukkah candles. So obviously there's a question. The Heichan Sivanu. Wait, there's no Pasuk in the Torah. It's rabbinic. What do you mean you commanded us? Rav Avi Amar Okay, now this is very interesting. What is the source in Chumash for rabbinic authority? So the most prominent source is in Devarim, Perak Yud Zion, where it says, if you have a lucky question, where do you go? Ubata el ha-kohanim ha-levim ve'el ha-shofet You go to the Kohen and Levi or the judge in that time period, and then they give a ruling, and then it says, lo tasur min ha-devar Don't depart from the ruling left or right. So that is the, the psukim about rabbinic authority. Again, I can't resist another little point here. Who did it say you go to? So it's an interesting question, right? How do you guys consider, think about Kohanim and Levim? You might think about just ritual functionaries in the Mikdash. What does it sound like here? They also somehow are teachers or rabbinic authorities. So you're wondering where you'd see this image of the Kohen as a teacher, right? There are a couple of examples of Tanakh. This is probably the strongest one. That as you go into the Kohen Levi and the Shofet. Okay, great. So we seem to have a source for rabbinic authority. If we just move on to the Gemara, we have another potential source. This is the best source. Go ask your father or the elder. Okay, that's what you're supposed to ask. So it is interesting Like who you're asking is not phrased exactly the same way. But in any case, we have two positions here where rabbinic authority comes from. So what's the claim? That justifies making the bracha. Okay, why can we say, Asher Kitsanu Vitzivanu? Well, how did God command us to light near Hanukkah? Well, he didn't precisely command us to light near Hanukkah, but he commanded us to listen to rabbinic authority, and therefore, we could say, Asher Tzivanu. Okay, we're all good at that so far? Okay, now I just want to point out, uh, there might be a, a position that disagreed, actually. People don't quote this enough. Because we all are so used to making brachot on the Rabbanans, there's one Gemara in Sukkah which might indicate that it wasn't so obvious. So if you look at source four, it's discussing Lula versus Sukkah. Amr Vidu Mishmul, Lula of Shiva, the Sukkah Yom Echad. Lula, I make a bracha for seven days and Sukkah just one day. Guys, this is not our practice. We obviously make a bracha on the Sukkah every day. But there's a suggestion you only make one bracha on the Sukkah. Why would that be? My Tama. Lula de Mifaske Lelo Miyamim. What happens in Lula, guys? What's Mifaske here? Like a Hafsaka? Okay, yeah, guys, we go to a, you go to an Israeli elementary school. What's recess? Hafsaka, right? There you go. Do you spend time living in Israel? What? Okay. By the way, I'm not going to do it right now, but if the rabbi here would list all his professions, it would enter your calling. Okay, he did like 85 other things till he got to becoming a rabbi. Okay, in fact, we'll just check a couple. Did you once drive a cab? Oh, uh, there you are. See, we got you right away on the first one. I got you. Okay, but th- th- were you once a fireman? Yes. Ah, uh, there we go. Okay. Yes. Okay, so. What? Ah, 
Did they get to slide down the poles also? Uh, <laughs> we did have a poll. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, you guys can check it out during lunch. Ask them all those professions. Okay, so um, in any case, let's go to the... Ah, so it says, There's a break, right? There's no such mitzvah to take a lulav in the nighttime. But therefore, what does that create? So when I get to the third day of Sukkot, what's happening? It's a new mitzvah. Why is it a new mitzvah? Well, the old one ended. Notice it didn't apply in the nighttime. But sukkah, is no different than day and night. If I'm eating a sandwich, I should be in the sukkah. So we don't do this, but it's interesting to take. Maybe what sukkah? Not seven individual mitzvot, but one seven-day unit of sukkah performance. But if that's true, maybe it'll only make one bracha. So one suggestion is Lulub gets seven brachot, seven different performances, Sukkah gets one. Next. Rabba Barchan Amar Yochanan, Sukkah Shiva, Lulubimechad. I think it's the opposite. Sometimes in Gemara you suspect they just want to like every possible logical position to exist. Okay, I think it's the opposite. My Tama, Sukkah Doraita Shiva, Lulub Dirabbanan, Sagile Bechad Yoma. Okay, what's the claim here, guys? Since sukkah is a biblical mitzvah, you should make a bracha every day. Lulav, now some of you know this because we learned sukkah this year. Lulav is biblically seven days only in the Migdash. Outside the Migdash is biblically one day. So the claim is, oh, maybe we were, it's not such an urgency to make bracha on mitzvot rabbanat. Now the Gemara then goes on to quote a third position, which is what we do, which is, of course, both sukkah sheva and lulav sheva. But notice the position that kind of crept its way in here. That I won't make seven days of Brachon Lulav because it's rabbinic. So maybe there is an idea lurking in our tradition that it was not an obvious no-brainer that you make Brachon on Mitzvot Rabbanon. Okay, we do it like that Gemara in Shabbat. I just want to point out, the Gemara in Sukkah seems to raise some hesitation. Somebody thought you wouldn't make Brachon on the Rabbanon. Okay, everybody good so far? Yeah. Does the, does the Pasu say, does it start out? Okay, so very good. The reason why it happens is because the Psukim say, You take these are four species on the first day, and later it says, and you take joy in them. So again, So wait, is it one day or seven days? So what's the differentiating factor between the two halves of the Pasuk? Well, the second one said, L'fnei Hashem. So the L'kachtem is universal, one day, but only L'fnei Hashem you have the seven days. That's in the name of the Ah, yeah, possibly in the old city of Yushalayim also. But yeah. Okay, we're good? I'm sorry? You can eat three meals of the sukkah and have to make three brachot in one day. That's correct. But the lulah did not have to take three now, that's a good point. You're saying here we're only functioning like on a, on a day unit. Okay, that, that, that is an interesting point, but I'm going to get away for now. Yes. Ah, now the parents are getting warmed up here. Great. It's funny that you don't, like Yoma, like one day, but you're divorcing the Sukkah and the Lulav. Like Rosh Hashanah, you're also calling it a long day, right? There is an idea of Yoma Rechtan Rosh Hashanah, correct. But there you're doing everything. Here you're splitting it up. Yeah, that's a very clever point. I think in Rosh Hashanah, if we say it, we're saying the entire day is one unit. Right. If we're saying it here, we're just saying that the Sukkah mitzvah is one unit, not that the Chag is necessarily one unit. In fact, it's very interesting you say that. I'm debating 
What do you say, guys? Should I do a distracting tangent that might confuse everybody? Yes. Okay, fine. All right, you voted yes? Okay. So, because uh, your question is a very good question, especially because I actually have an opposite theme in Sukkot. Okay, many of you may have noticed that on Sukkot, we say the full Hallel for all seven days, and on Pesach, we don't. So somehow Hallel seems to be a bigger deal on Sukkot than on Pesach. In fact, when we don't say the full Hallel, that usually indicates it's kind of like a second-rate Hallel. It's only a minhag or only, okay? In fact, that's why, okay, this I shouldn't do because it's a tangent on my tangent. But since we have a lot of Sephardim this year, we like to make the Sephardim feel good about their heritage. Okay, so uh, as you guys know, Sephardim are not, they're more nervous about making inappropriate brachot than we are. We ask and ask them feel we could just make brachot all the time. So I'm saying, hang in there. If you're not commanded, you should not be making a bracha. So let's say it is Rosh Chodesh, and we're having a joyous tefillah here in Oraita. And Moises says, I want to be the Chazan. So someone says to Moises, that's great, but what's going to happen if you're the Chazan? You're not going to say a bracha on Hal and Rosh Chodesh. Okay, what? Okay, that's another problem. Okay, but uh, would he come one day just for Rosh Chodesh? Okay, that might be an issue. So again, because... What? Okay, that's two. Moroccans are different about kidney at also, right? Yes. Maybe Moroccans are just not real Sephardim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what happened? What happened? Wait, who's a Moroccan descent in Yeshiva? <laughs> who's raising your hand over there? I can see what it is. Ah, okay. Ah, great. I, I, you're not, I assume you're not at all offended by the way, direction this conversation is going, right? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that was very good. Okay. So, in any case, um, so notice, based on the same principle, obviously the hal on Pesach is not as serious, right? We're skipping paragraphs to indicate that. Now, why is hal on Sukkot more serious than hal on, on, on Pesach? So, this is fascinating to me because there's a famous midrash and there's a Gemara. And it shows you that in elementary school, certain things are going to capture the imagination, and then the other argument has no chance. Okay, it's like Medrash beating Pshat. It's just, one is just so much more interesting. What did the Midrash famously say about why we don't say full Hallel on the seventh day of Pesach? Rafi? Because um, we saw a the huh? Maybe there's an idea that even when humans were not so great die, there's something sad about it, there's something tragic about human death. Right, this is the most humanistic midrash ever. Okay, and therefore, since the Egyptians are all dying in the Yamsuf, we kind of curtail our joy and don't say full hal. Okay, so that, I think, is very popular in elementary school. It's, good. it's a good idea. Why not? It's actually not what the Gemara says. Okay, there is a... Uh, ah, who said that? Ezra. <laughs> Mr. Coach, remind me, where do you go to Yeshiva? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Wait, was it like a summer yeshiva in Williamsburg? It was after that. It was something else. Okay. Okay. So in any case, good to have a yeshiva background. So there's a gemara that says it has to do with the karbanot. That some of you may remember that on Sukkot the karban number of parim changes every day. It's a famous thing. 13, 12, 11, 10. And on Pesach you bring the exact same sacrifice every day. So the gemara suggests that that's not just a technicality. What does that reveal? That every day of Pesach is basically the same, where every day of Sukkot is qualitatively different. Therefore, every day of Sukkot calls for a new Hallel, 
where not every day of Pesach calls for a new halacha. So I'm just thinking out loud here. I never really made this connection before. Very good. Thank you for inspiring. That in some ways in Sukkot, you have the opposite theme, right? In that Gemara, which is in Erechen, in that Gemara, it sounds like, no, Sukkot has qualitatively different days as Sukkot goes along. And here we kind of have the opposite idea, but I think it's not really a contradiction because I think we're saying Sukkot, qua holiday, every day is different, but the mitzvah of Sukkah, you might have just one seven-day block. Okay? Anybody else with a comment or question on that? Yeah. Eitan. Not on this, but on our original source of asking a Kohen or so the truth is it's very interesting what you say. Someone should do a good study of this. That uh, do we have the idea of the Kohen as teacher? Does that last throughout Jewish history? Because certainly it's true in Tanakh. Is it true after Tanakh? And maybe I'm just thinking historically. Ah, uh, Shalom. A little Jewish history moment here. We'll see if it's in your grandfather's book. Okay. Um, anybody who reads Shalom Kiyan's book from cover to cover, the Hanachs, I want to take you out for lunch. Okay? Just get it right now? Okay. I will. Okay. Um, I wonder if, like, in, anyone know why in Bait Shane he thinks it's a little bit trickier with the Kohenim? Yeah, Sean? Okay, it wasn't always the most righteous person who became, not just because the Greeks, but also because of which rival group? The Stukim were very interested in the Kuna. So sometimes, uh, ah, bring me a proof, guys. You might say, oh, it would never happen that a Sadducee would become Cohen Gunnel. Bring me a proof that that's not true. Yeah, Yoma. Oh, not. Meaning that it could be. That, yeah, Yoma, it says, uh, it like talks about how like, if he doesn't know anything that's going on. Ah, very good. Guys, remember that if you were in the beginning yeah, of Yoma, yeah, it'd actually make him take an oath that he would carry out the ritual according to the rabbinic way, the Prushi way, and not the Stuke way. Now, obviously, they would only do that if there was a real live possibility that he was a Sadducee. Otherwise, a little bit of a wasted oath. Right? So apparently, they really had, and what word to use, infiltrated the Kuna. And certainly in Baicheni, there's no sense of the Kohen as a rabbinic authority. But it'd be interesting, like, it's quite interesting, like, in Baicheni, Rishon. And I have an example from, like, the Naveen Rishonim, where the Kohen's are authority for... I have to think about that. It's a good question, I thought. Okay, anybody else? Okay, great. What? In? In? Do you learn the second tool? At the end of senior year, Rabbi Haynes is like a Okay, that's pretty odd. Yeah. Okay. Did you enjoy it? Yes, yeah, sure, sure. I think if you buy a shady, they had 40 or 100 dollars. And that's how they go over 70 years. So if you take the amount of time, at least every year. Right. Okay, big. All right, guys, let's get to a famous Rambam Ramban debate, and we'll see what the conundrum, the famous conundrum of the Kadari. Now, the Rambam, among his many books, he wrote an amazing person what he wrote. He also wrote a Sefer Hamitzvot. We list 613 Mitzvot. And he has 14 rules. That's why the Rambam, he's a super organized fellow. He's not just to write a book of his vote. Here are the rules. What should count, what should not count in the 613. And there are 14 rules. Okay, everyone should say something, guys, right? Did the Rambam have a, an affinity for the number 14? How do you know that? Okay, that, there are 14 books in the Mishnah Torah, right? Yada, Chazaka. Okay, so Benji, I know stops in the streets. What was the Rambam's favorite number? It's obvious, 14. Okay, so he has 14 rules for, for what's a, a mitzvah. Look at his first rule. Hashor Shavishonim in source 5. She'ein wo'ilum no'ut b'chalazah mitzvot she'ein mitzvot Do not count rabbinic mitzvot. They should not be counted. 
Okay, and then he goes on to say, it's not that being mitzvah don't matter. They're all subsumed under one mitzvah. Don't count them independently. Don't have a mitzvah call, don't move muksa. Don't have a mitzvah call, do nitil yadayim. What would you guys say? What are they all subsumed under? Lotasur. We already had a Torah mitzvah that says, don't violate the rabbinic authority. So they're all subsumed under Lotosur. Okay, great. Now let's turn to page. See, I told you guys, you wouldn't have to worry about the long sources. Turn to page six. Okay. Now, the Ramban, the Ramban famously wrote criticism of the Ramban. Let's just do a division for one second, because he did it in more than one occasion. Does anyone know in his parish on Chumash how the Ramban is critical of the Ramban? What book does the Ramban often criticize in the parish on Chumash? Anyone know? Oh, that's <coughs> everybody's eligible for this. Joe, excellent. The Moon of Uchid. Like, let's say the Rambam famously says that there's no such thing as encountering angels. So if there's any encounter with angels, it must have happened in a dream. Right? So Ramban is very unhappy about this, and he criticizes the Rambam. But the Ramban also criticized his Sefer Mitzvot. Okay, guys, what is the most famous example of that? Oh, Rambam, why didn't you count living in Israel? Right, Rambam was the great Zionist in the Middle Ages. What's going on there? Okay, fine. But he even wrote a criticism of the rule book. Okay? I'm wondering, guys, one day it's going to happen. I have this dream in terms of, you know, we Jews like to debate. But usually you start debating, like, when you get to the text. I'm still waiting one day. Someone's going to criticize the art of the front page. Right? This is the wrong art. You should use the different gate. But it's not happened yet. One day it'll happen. There'll be a little note right here. Okay, but uh, in any case, the Rambam wrote criticism of the rule book, and he says as follows. He says, wait, the Rambam thinks every Durabanan is included in Lotasur. I have a problem with that. If we could skip to line one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What did the Rambam do? He gets a little poetic now. He built a large wall to protect the sages. He caperets no fell. But what's the truth about this wall? What is a pirza? A breach. Very good, Rafi. But it's like a wall that's going to be breached and it's going to fall down. Why is that? I'll get to one second else. Here he says a famous question. Okay, if we're skipping two more lines, it says Betalmud, and then there's an ellipsis. What's the problem, guys? If I say I have to listen to a Durabanan because the Torah tells me to do so, arguably, what have I just done? I've made every Durabanan into a Duraita. Right? That's what we said. I could say, Sivanu, you commanded us because you commanded us to listen to the rabbis. But wait, we said in the beginning of Shir that it's a pillar of our halachic system. That there are distinctions between the right to the burn. But where do those distinctions come from if every Durabanan is the right? I'm thinking comments in one second, guys. Uh, and don't think it's only suffix. This happens all the time. Don't we often have that we're looking for leniency because there's a human need, and if we could just reduce the right to the Durabanan, then we're okay. Let's give you two examples of it. For much of Jewish history, when Jews milked cows, on Shabbat, how did they do it? The non-Jewish neighbor would do it. Now, it's an Isser Durabanan to ask your non-Jewish neighbor to do Malacha. But what did we say? If your cow doesn't get milked, it's going to be an intense pain. Sar Balechayim has a certain force. What kind of force does it have? Well, it can't overcome a Duraita, but it can't overcome a rabbinic pain. So, just ask your non-Jewish to milk the cow. This is what we did for a lot of Jewish history. Or, okay, uh, Maybe I shouldn't use this example, but I'll do it anyway. Okay, let's say you go to the bathroom and there's no toilet paper that's cut. 
right? But we would say there, no, because of Kavod HaBriot, you could rip it in a way that's only rabbinic. And once again, Kavod HaBriot wouldn't overcome a Daraita, but it would overcome a Daraita. So throughout our tradition, we have the sense that Doraitas are very difficult to overcome, and Rabbanans are much easier. And now again, if every, the Rambam is in theory made every Doraita into a Doraita. I'm just going to do one more thing, guys, to set up the question, and then I'm very curious to hear what Ellis says. Okay? I have to, I have to explain to everybody who Ellis is. We'll get there. Okay. So, Ramban actually later in the piece says that Lotusser is not as encompassing as the Rambam says. Lotusser only addresses Torah interpretation not rabbinic legislation. I mean, if you think about it, it's a real limit on rabbinic authority. Rambam says everything the rabbis do is covered in Lotasur. What does the Ramban say? If we need to know the pshat, what an etrog is, what a priyatzadr is, that's Lotasur. But not when the rabbis are just making standalone takano. That we get that so far? Okay, now the Ramban, in some ways, has saved the day. Why are there differences in the right to the Rabbanan? Because rabbinic enactments are not necessarily covered by Lotasur. What problem now will the Ramban have, though? Yeah, why do they have authority? Why do we have to listen to the rabbis altogether? Right? When the rabbis decide that there's a prohibition called muksa, or when they decide that everyone should wash an atelier dime before bread, but there's no pasuk that tells you that addresses that, right? Because according to Ramban, the only pasuk was <coughs> about interpreting Torah. So now we are stuck, guys. This is a famous dilemma. You can go tell your rabbi at home that you learned this. They'll be very impressed. Okay? Again, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, between Scylla and Charybdis. Okay, who from Shanaf got the reference? Oh, I've got an educated man over there. Excellent. See? In Dutch world, to get a real education, not like in America. Okay, who else besides Amitai and Benji got the reference? Ellis, that goes that thing. Okay, okay, Ellis, you don't count. Okay, so uh, in any case, ever got the problem here? What's the problem? Okay, if we say Lotasser covers all rabbinic things, why are Durbanans different from the Raitas? If we say Lotasser doesn't cover rabbinic enactments, why do we have to listen to it? Okay, now let me just explain one thing, guys. There's a very weird oddity in Yeshiva this year. Okay, and the oddity goes as follows. I don't know if you ever do this, but I find it humorous when you work off a very small sample size, you could prove almost anything. Okay, so this year, Yeshiva, after a careful scientific study, we decided that the city of Vancouver only produces outstanding Yeshiva students. Okay, because we happen to have two students from Vancouver. Okay, Max and Ellis. Both are particularly outstanding. So we've been trying now to get like 50 guys from Vancouver next year, but it's not looking good. Okay. But uh, I'll just say one, I don't embarrass them too much, but I'll say one nice thing, two nice things about them. I believe neither one has missed a chakrit all year. Is that correct? Ellis? Where'd he go? Oh, you missed one all year? Okay, here we go. And Max is in the baby Josh too much. In fact, I tell him, get out of here, go play basketball. Okay. Usually totally unsuccessfully. And the last weird thing is that Max went to a Jewish high school, and Ellis went to Vancouver Public School, and somehow Ellis picked up a remarkable amount of Jewish information in that public school. So apparently Max made the wrong move. If he had gone to the public school, he could have taken electives in state or taro, it would be just great, but uh, what can you do? Okay, with that background, Ellis, what's your question? So do we make any further distinctions within Darabanas between, for example, just like a pure gazera and then something like where they make a gazera but then they retroactively try and find a source for it? Like a Yes, look, you could, you're raising a very good question, which is within Darabanas, within Darabanas, are there gradations? 
But just for the purpose of our shirt today, we're going to simplify and not do it that way. We'll just deal with a very large category of the right to and Okay, anybody else with a, anyone try to solve one of the problems? Again, if we're in the Rambam, now get noticed, if we're going to try to work it out, we'll try to solve for both people. If we're in the Rambam, what's the problem? Why a Durbanan is different than Durbanan? If we're the Ramban, the problem is, why in the world do we have to listen to Rabbinic authority? Yeah, Joe. So, doesn't the Gemara Bracha about Kavarabriz answer this? Because, like, in the Gemara Bracha, it says that Kavarabriz goes over all Durbanans and Lotas Sword. So, it answers the Rambam of, like, so Lotas is not really a full Doraita, but for answer the Ra- but also answers the Ramban saying that like there is authority for the for Durbanan commandments. But how did where's the authority come from for Durbanan? But from the cousin Lotas source. But didn't he tell me just now that Lotas is limited to interpretation and not legislation? Yeah, that's for the Okay, good. Very good. Yes, Benji. Uh, Okay, you heard that idea before? Okay, very impressive. We'll see that shortly. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's go in. Is that your mom? Yeah. Oh, good day. See, you're, you're somebody keep commenting on uh, your colleague. <laughs> and by the way, it's recorded too, so now it'll be there for posterity. <laughs> okay, now let's try to solve the Ramban first, and then we'll come back to the Ramban. Okay, so let's turn the page. We'll go to source 7. Okay, to a uh, fellow who is very well-known, if you happen to be in Rav Gav's morning shirt. Okay, so Rav Chanan Wasserman was a Rav in Europe, who was a student of Rav Chaim Salvechik. He, unfortunately, was killed by the Nazis in World War II. Um, he is very well-known for being a very sharp, conceptual thinker, right? More for Gemara. He actually also wrote a book of Machshava, which is down here. But uh, I'll just give you a warning. Is this it? Yeah, here it is. It is super Haredi. Not like mildly Haredi. It is like incredibly Haredi. Okay, so if you want to encounter incredibly Haredi Jewish thought, he's your man. Okay, but uh, let us see here what Rabbi Khan has to say. So Rabbi Khan raises our question. Right, wait. Is every Durbanan really a Doraita? Now, or let's go back. What's, sorry, what's really the question? If Lotaster doesn't cover it, so then why do you have to listen to the rabbis? So then he says, look at the second line. He makes a very good logical point. Let's say the Ramban's argument was limited. Only, probably should be Linyan. Okay, only about the Pasuk of Lotasur. What if, guys, think about it. Is this going to solve the problem? What if Rabbanan says... What was Ramban saying to Rambam? You got the wrong Pasuk. But if you just switch Pesukim, then it works. Will that solve the problem? Meaning, Rambam's mistake was thinking low tusser generates rabbinic authority. The reality is, let's say that Shalavicha Yagedcha creates rabbinic authority. Why, why not? Because it's still a Pasuk. Yeah, it's the same problem. You'd still say every Durbanan should really be Doraita. Very good. So he says, if I come to He's kind of closing down the possible solutions. Like any other Pasuk or source, I quote, will just lead to the same problem. Okay, everyone understand? Okay, great. So then he says something really remarkable. Everyone skip to Yud Zion, please. Okay. Now this, I think, only works if you have a, a lot of faith in rabbinic authority. But uh, I'm going to try to tone it down for those of us who aren't as <coughs> full of faith. All the mitzvot and prohibitions that are rabbinic, Heskima datan 
Ladat HaMakom. What's, what's the last scheme, guys? To agree. to agree. What do we assume? That when the rabbis made a material dime, that they nailed what God wanted. God wanted the material dime and he puts a big check. Okay? When they prohibited certain sexual things, since we're convinced the rabbis are getting it right, we are obligated to do as they wish. Again, I admit, guys, to say it the way he says it, you need to have a lot of faith in rabbis. Saying, oh, we think the rabbis work hard and do a good job. We assume that they're lining up with God's will. Now, why does that help him? Because he's saying, why do we have to listen to the rabbis? Because there's an assumption that it is Ritzon Hashem. Ah, but why isn't it a Doraita? Because to be a Doraita, you can't just be an assumed Ritzon Hashem. You have to be a concrete Pasuk. So Rabbi Khan, like you say, I've generated this new category that solves the dilemma for Ramban. If your concrete obligation in the Torah, that makes you a deraita. Since Lotusor doesn't cover, right, only interpretation, not legislation. Legislation we listen to because this side idea, because this idea that we assume the rabbis are getting it right. That's reason to listen, but not reason to make it a deraita. And all the distinctions we have between Duban Derbaita and Halacha, now we're kept. Okay, who had a hand up before over here? Okay, Jonah. Can you just make it a deraita if you said Lobash because you're saying that rather than you're right, because of Lobo Shmaim, we don't need to be God. Right, so it's very you just said. I guess my question would be, Lobo itself, is that about interpretation or also legislation? Right. right? In theory, Ramban could try to claim that Kamar is about interpretation. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that fair? It doesn't answer the question on the Shaykh Kibishan. That's interesting. You're saying for the Ramban, he'd have to say... That Ritzon Hashem is enough to save a Tzivanu, but not enough to make a Duban into Duraita. Correct, that's what you have to say. What's, what's your issue back on? I went to Hebrew Academy. Okay, I'm at school or high school? You did pretty well for a guy who went to public school. <laughs> Ellis, obviously he's from Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Why do we even have to assume in the first place that... Um, that a rabbi being empowered by a deraisa to make legislation and interpretation necessarily makes the things that he legislates and interprets also deraisa. Like, if a constitution empowers a government to make laws, we don't say all the laws the government makes are constitutional laws. Like, Which means, I, I wondered, I've actually wondered about that for years. Why doesn't Andrew's developed model with the Torah tells you as or to create the rabbis? Some I've never seen anyone say that, but I have wondered about that. It's a good question. Yeah. Like, that's one of the Supreme Court rules, like, constitutional law, kind of like, alters the perception of that law. So wouldn't that be, like, the same thing? Like, when the Supreme Court makes a ruling, like, that is our interpretation of that law. You know, actually, I, I want to debate the Supreme Court. We'll duck it. All right, guys. Let's go to... Sometimes, certain things you don't want to bring up. But it's like, uh, you can't have like a side come to bed like Donald Trump and just continue with cheer. So uh, you, you, got, you got to avoid those things, okay? Those topics you got to avoid. No references. Okay. Also, once you open the tangent, it's like a rabbit hole forever. Okay. So let us, that's a potential suggestion for the Ramban. Let's go back to Ramban. And we'll see that Benji Cohen's idea is really very beautifully articulated by the Meshachachma. Source 8. The Meshachachma is from Meir Simcha Cohen from Dvinsk. He passed away in 1926. 
So, source seven, eight are pretty recent people, guys. See? Good ideas in Jewish history. We're not just 700 years ago. We're still doing it. Okay, here we have two people from the 20th century who have the crucial ideas in this. <coughs> okay, so he says exactly what Benji said. If we could skip down to the fifth line, which says, Vaikar at the end of the line. Everyone see that? Vaikar. Who's that? In addition to those things that are nitzchi, that are eternal, okay? Okay, I should have said something to the Jonah's parents once Jonah made a comment. I hope it's okay if I say this. Like, since Jonah returned from the States, he's been amazing. Okay, so I'm not sure what happened there, but uh, okay, it's really remarkable. We're thinking of sending every home just to come back and see what happens. Okay, Jonah's sisters. Jonah's you realize he's gotten so much more serious as yeshiva guy since he came back? You knew that? Yeah. Okay, great. How'd you know? How'd you know? I could just tell. Okay, good. Okay, I guess you know, you know your brother. Okay, excellent. Okay, so in any case, uh, so besides those things that are eternal, Yitzchadish in your name. What else do we need? We need new ideas. You get, right? History's going to change. Human society is complicated. So can't be we'll just have the Taryag Mitzvot. Sometimes we need rabbis to legislate to do new things. That's obvious. Okay. Vayikuzek, yeah, Torah, oh, sorry. What's the truth about these things? They'll be timely and temporary in theory. Meaning things in the Torah are meant to be eternal. They're always relevant. Things that the rabbis legislate might be solving a problem at the time, but not necessarily locked in. Now, you guys might say, but think about it. We always keep all these Durbanites. But in theory, there are mechanisms where we wouldn't have to. So if you look right after the uh, brackets, Now, we never do this anymore. But what in theory would a later Beitin have the right to do? They can't negate the right to, but they could negate the Durbanite. So just use one example. Many of you know that Hillel instituted Prosbo. So if you read that, come on, what does one of the Amram say? Would I have the power? I would negate it. I'd like to cancel Prosbo. And he seems to get there would be a mechanism for canceling Prosbo, but he just thought that his particular bait in Prosbo. Okay. Oh. Luckily, Prosbo is not like Donald Trump. You can do it in a safe territory. Okay. So in Shemitah, of course, Shemitah cancels loans. Okay? And it, the idea really would be Shemitah is trying to help the poor. Right? Poor people take loans, they fall behind in debt. Every seven years they get a relief of their loans. But what if it starts to be unhelpful? Why would Shemitah start to be unhelpful? Yeah, what if no one's lending money? Right? What if someone says, oh, that was a great idea in uh, some uh, ideal abstract universe, but I would like to get my money back. So uh, once it gets within three years of Shemitah, I'm not giving any loans. So then, of course the Shemitah deal started to be counterproductive. So Hillel famously made a document called the Prusbol that enables you to maintain your debt. Okay, so it's kind of an interesting rabbinic document, uh, kind of circumventing the halacha, because that was what the people needed. So then at a later point, okay, what is this? Is that good? What? Yeah, it is similar to Mechira. Okay, although it might be actually not Okay, so uh, in any case, the uh, a later Amora talks about his desire to negate it. Now you might say that shows he can't. No, no, he just thought that his particular baitin did not have the force to negate it. But he is indicating that in theory a later baitin could negate it. So again, we have the writers that are locked in, 
and rabbinic enactments that could be negated. Now, what's the real difference? Okay, so let's skip down to why we need this. You see what it says, Shim Lokein? Okay, the line begins with the Shim. Shim Lokein, if we don't have an idea like this, Torah would be a free-for-all. They become separate groups. Ah, see, makes the following point, guys. Many people made this point. It is true, you could have a lot of complaints of the authority. I don't deny it. And maybe the rabbis have messed up every now and then. But the idea that, oh, we could just deal without any authority doesn't seem to really be such a reasonable move. I had a colleague who used to ask this to students when they would complain about rabbinic authority. He would say, well, what do you suggest? Like, how should the decisions be made? And students really hadn't thought about that question before. Okay, so it's a good question when someone's challenging rabbinic authority. So he's saying if you want to have some kind of cohesive unit, there has to be some decision-making procedure. It makes sense to have experts involved. He says, that's what this is all about. As I've said to you guys in the past, right, you know, if you read Russian literature of the 1800s, they love to write about anarchists, but, you know, somehow anarchy was never really tried. I always say that like, communism was tried and failed, and anarchism never even made it to, like, the starting block. It's not really a feasible position that oh, everyone decides for themselves and there's no authority making structure. Right, Sean? Anarchism is never going to win, they correct? They tried it in Ukraine during the Russian Revolution. By Mr. Manako, something like that. And it How long did it last for? The, the communists crushed it pretty quickly. Okay. Is that unfair for. If we call that a failure, it's unfair because yeah, they were crushed. You can't defend your ideology. No, but what if. It should have failed anyway. It should have failed anyway, yeah. We'll have to think about that. That counts as a failure in this context. But okay. So, in any case, let's go to this point here. So, we need some kind of authority making structure, right? People can need new laws, new legislation, and it can't be a free flow. But now we see something brilliant. You see the line begins with below Tasur? What's the mitzvah? We need authority, otherwise society falls apart. That's the mitzvah. But the action itself, Shamu Oh, yeah, I just realized something right now. Even though it's like the eighth time I'm giving this year. In some ways, he's the opposite of Rabbi Hanan. Because look what he says. What I suspect, maybe it's not what God wanted. Meaning, I'm not, it's only interesting, Rabbi Chad is really confident when the rabbis legislate, they're lining up with God's will. What is Rabbi Meir Simcha saying? I'm not so sure they're lining up with God's will. Why do I have to listen to them? Structure. Because anarchy is a bad thing. I need a structured, organized society. But that means, in a sense, the mitzvah I'm fulfilling, let's say the Torah, the rabbis say to light Hanukkah candles, it's really not that I'm convinced that lighting Hanukkah candles is great, I'm convinced that structure is great, and some kind of authority structure is great, and therefore, I have to listen. So remember we said before, the writers are eternal, and rabbinans are, in theory, temporary, but now we have a deeper split. In the writers, I'm convinced the thing itself is the divine will. In the Rabbanans, I'm convinced that the divine will, there should be an authority structure, but I'm not convinced that this specifically is good. How does that solve everything? Here we go, guys. But first, before it solves everything, he has the greatest proof ever. I, I mentioned this in the clearly once, but it's worth mentioning again. This, you, sometimes you have a proof, you just say, you can't beat that proof. Okay, I'm going to go to source nine for one second. Now, it's very interesting to look at how Yushalmi compares to the Bavli. We saw a Bavli before about what bracha you make. Let's see the Yushalmi. Kate said, Mavarchan on Erech 
Rabbi Barachas Shekhi Chemist is Venerable Mitzvah the Lakan Air Khanaka. Hako Modin the Yom Tavish and Shuman Tilulav. Ma Pligin. Bishar Kalyam. Here we go. What bracha they make on the Lulav days two through seven? And don't be on days two through seven. What kind of mitzvah am I fulfilling? Here we go. Rabbi Yochlamar Al Natilat Lulav. Like we do. Yeshuman Levi Amar. Oh, you just can't beat this, guys. Al Mitzvah Zakanim. Imagine that, guys. Wouldn't that be amazing? You take the Lulav on the third day. What do you say? Bracha Shem Lakan to do what? Lishmoa lemitzvah zkenim. I mean, what mitzvah am I doing? Not lulav, because who knows if lulav is really the right thing. But at least I'm preserving that we're not anarchy, right? So I'm listening to the sages, right? No better proof than that, that that's what it's really all about. Okay, now let's go back to our suffix thing and we'll just start to bring the whole shit together. Okay? Jonah, I assume you weren't insulted by what I did, right? You weren't insulted, right? Okay, great. Okay, excellent. So uh, let's go back to. The case of Suffolk. What was one of our questions? If everybody runs a Doraita, so then maybe why should Suffolk be different? But now we can say as follows. When I have a Suffolk, I'm not sure if the meat sandwich in front of me is trafe meat or kosher meat. Based on what we've said, trafe meat, they're the action is the problem. There's something inherently bad about eating trafe meat. Once that's true, I shouldn't take a chance, right? If it's a Suffolk, Suffolk Doraita will Don't take a chance. But let's say it's only chicken and milk, right, for the sake of argument, which is rabbinic. And now I have a suffix. Why do I not have to wonder if I, if, if I actually ate chicken and milk, why is it not a terrible thing? Because we never decided that action was bad objectively. What's the one thing I'm not supposed to do? Fight against rabbinic authority. Well, what if, if I do in a case of suffix, that's not fighting against rabbinic authority. Right? When you know, the rabbis told me, don't eat chicken milk. So when I know it's chicken and milk, that would be a direct violation of their edict. But when, I'm not sure, like, they didn't really discuss that so much, what happens when it's a case of suffix. And maybe I'm saying, I'm counting on the fact that it's not against their will. And even if I do it again, notice the difference? If it's the right, since the act is per se, so I have to look like I did the wrong act. But in the rabbinic way, it could be, even if it turns out I ate the trays, I can still say, yeah, but I didn't really violate this direct clash with rabbinic authority. Okay, let me just sum up where we are right now. We'll see the comments before I do the last part. Okay, we now, in theory, have a solution for both sides of the divide. Give, okay. give an example. It's too abstract. Okay, I'll give you another one. But, okay, but he, example of the chicken and Sure. Okay, I'll do another one. Okay, uh, but before I get there, he has a great analogy. I should have done the analogy. An analogy which is clearly about preventing anarchy and not about, and not about, um, not about the thing itself. Okay, there's also a mitzvah to listen to the king. Correct, guys? Wouldn't you say that there it's really convincing? Do you think the king is some grand spiritual authority who therefore we assume he's lining up with God's will? No. Why, why does the Torah want you to listen to the king? Well, it's kind of hard to have a society if you don't have to listen to the government, right? Every, uh, again, I admit, guys, that philosophically why you have to listen to the government is a good question, but practically, there's certain philosophical questions you ask that have no practical relevance whatsoever. It's always an interesting question. It's not for us right now. Like, philosophical question with no practical relevance, like, how important are they? Okay, in, in fact, uh, just, uh, there's nothing to do with this here. I just can't resist it. It's the best imagery I have. Okay, so Hegel was a German philosopher who had very abstract notions about the world. <laughs> And then Kierkegaard showed up. Don't worry, I remember. He was Danish and not Dutch. Okay. 
Okay. If you guys want to claim it, it's okay. You can try. No one will notice. Try claiming Kirky Guard for your country. Okay, so uh, Americans, they don't know the difference between Danish and the Dutch. Just go for it. I mean, it's your, in Europe, it might not work, but try it in America. Okay, so uh, Kierkegaard said, who, who, said, I understand, like, your philosophy has nothing to do with how you live your life. It's all these abstract ideas. You know what you're like, Hegel? You're like a guy who builds a palace and lives in the doghouse next door. That is a powerful one. Okay, but in any case, um, with a king, you need authority. But we're not assuming the king gets things right. Just you need it for society to function. So what's striking about Mayor Simply is maybe even rabbinic authority is like that. It's not that we assume the rabbis are getting it spiritually right, but otherwise Jewish life can't function. Okay, so let's just sum up. We, what did the Rambam say? Give me one second. Okay? Let's do the summary. The Rambam said that lo tasur covers all of rabbinic actions, both interpretation and legislation. So even if the rabbis say, don't move mukta, or the rabbis say, take luv on day four, or they say, wash until you die before bread, lo tasur tells you to follow that. Okay, and as you said, the Mitzibana works very well. You actually are commanded. And then everyone said, but if that's true, every Jobanan is a Doraita. Why are there distinctions in our system between rabbinic law and biblical law? That was one side of the line. Then we have the Ramban. The Ramban says, hey, Ramban, it's not true. Lotusser is only about them wearing their interpretive hats when they're interpreting Psukim, not about when they legislate new things. But that means that there's no Torah principle telling you to listen to the rabbis. So it's easy at that point to differentiate between the right and the Rabbanan, but why do you even listen to the Rabbanan? So we looked at Rabbi Hanan Wasserman, who said he, I like it, because even from a philosophical perspective, or a Jewish thought perspective, he's kind of the opposite of Rabbi Simcha. He has a lot of faith in Rabbanan's authority. And we assume the rabbis are getting it right. That when they say something, that's what God wanted, and that's why you should listen. But apparently that's enough to make us listen, but not enough to change the fact it's not a clear pasuk, and therefore... There's still a difference between the Rabbanan and the right. Okay, that is Rabbi Khan Wasserman's take on the Rambam. Rabbi Meir Simcha, according from the has a take on the Rambam, where he says that you have to understand that rabbinic authority works. We're convinced that a Torah principle, the act itself, is the right act for eternity. But when they're out, humans are failable beings. So when humans make enactments, right, at that point, we're not sure the thing is right. They might have made a mistake. But you can't have a society with no authority. So you have to listen to preserve a structured society, not because it means that the thing itself is correct. And the greatest example of that idea, we had the, first of all, we have the analogy to the king, and the greatest example is that Yushalmi. Because again, according to Yushalmi, what bracha am I making? It's not a bracha about the lulav, but rather a bracha about listening to this game, and that's what it's all about. Now comes the tricky part. Okay, here's the tricky part. Then he wants to say, when there's a suffix, Right there, if the act itself is problematic, I can't take a chance. Because what happens if I find out it really was usher? That's a problem. But if the act itself, I'm not convinced it's problematic, it's just about rabbinic authority, maybe when I do it, when it's not so clear it's a problem, I'm not really rejecting rabbinic authority. Right? The rabbis say, don't move muksa. I'm not sure if these rocks in my backyard are muksa. So when I move them, it's not, I'm not saying that Oh, the rabbis are wrong. I don't care about their authority. I'm saying I'm going to play my odds. I'm guessing that it's really okay. And even if it turns out my guess is wrong, but my act was not a rebellion against rabbinic authority. Okay, before we get to the closing questions, are you Noah Lodge's brother? Yes. Okay, are you in Sh- Shall Have It? Yeah. What grade? Yeah. How's it going there? Good. Yeah, who do you have for Gemara this year? Um, one. Who do you have for Gemara or Jewish studies? Or I mean, Do you have any Schwartzberg? <laughs> Great, that's a good man to have. Okay, Josiah.
Um, I feel like there's a flaw with the Rambam's interpretation of the Rambam because he assumes that he's saying just like listen to everything that every rabbi has to say, whereas the Rambam could have just been saying like listen to someone like. like oh, hang in there, guys. One second. One second. You made a little jump, but I think it's not fair. Okay, this fact that there is a concertinic authority does not mean that every rabbi in Jewish history has equivalent authority. Right? You might limit it. You might even limit it to the Beit and Haggadol. But maybe it's only when 71 sages sit together in Yerushalayim. So Zayat is a much larger topic, but I don't think we were trying to say that every rabbi in history uh, has tremendous rabbinic authority. I admit I haven't answered who does and who doesn't, but it does mean someone like, we hand him his cloth, and next thing you know, he can like, make an earth-shattering uh, sock to change everything. Okay, I think it's more complicated than that. Is that fair? No, yeah, no, I was just saying that, like, it could be that the Rambam was saying that the only people that had a do right to, like, the only people that uh, looked us who replied to is someone like the Shulbanaro for the Ramah or something. Oh, no, couldn't one still ask, like, how you determine who's in the camp, who's not in the camp? Yeah, no, that's not that's That is a very good question, but not for us right now. Yeah, please. Yeah, so is there a distinction between a lapse, so a negative commandment and a positive commandment for the rabbis to make, which it is this discussion? Uh, look, it since there's only three minutes left, I'm not going to enter it, but you're right, it's an interesting conversation. Just like you say, they're different to rights and different to rabbinans, maybe low tasseis and tasseis are not the same. It's a very good question, but not for us right now. Anybody else with a comment? Yeah, in the back. Uh, how would the Ramban justify or explain how certain rabbinans overrides rights with them? For example, Oh, that is a great question. Very, very interesting what you just said. Uh, it's RL's dead, right? Yeah. Okay, very good. Can, can I can I out you? I shouldn't out you. <laughs> okay. okay, I just say like I was in Camp Stone with RL's dad, and it was really a pleasure. First of all, he makes great barbecues, and he had a really good joke about the following. Okay, so some of you know that uh, after the Shah lost in Iran and Khomeini took over at right, the Islamic Revolution in '79, it was hard for Iranian Jews to get out. And many of them got out with all kinds of stories. You know, I was in a donkey through the Sudan or whatever, and that's how I, uh, I got out. And uh, they left uh, a little bit earlier. So uh, he says that uh, his family's escape story was on first class in British Airways. <laughs> a little bit less dramatic. Now, I don't know if they were actually first class, but it's just a funny one. Okay, so he, he has a very good point that... Um, Sometimes the rabbis seem to have incredible power that they prevent you from doing the right Like we won't blow shofar on Shabbat, which is the rabbis getting away the right I agree, actually. I'm not going to answer your question, but it works better if you hold like Rambam than Rabban. So, Mr. Zagy, or Doctor Zagy, I've not asked to answer your question, but I admit it's a good question. Okay, last two comments. Get in. How would how would they deal with just like Lotus right as Kasha? How would Well, in the Meshachach, it works out a little bit better, right? Like, you know, I don't get to it right now. Sorry. Just, uh, anyone else? Last comment or question? All right, so I hope everyone's got a little taste of uh, Shir Club. Oh, there's one more. Uh, Yoni Saltzman. Yeah. When we say the Meshachach, the Inyam of Beitim Akher, that means an even smarter baby. Yeah, yeah. So, Meaning that's why I mentioned the principal reference. A later baby can't override it, but there's certain criteria when a later baby can override it. So, so <coughs> we always talk about, first of all, like, you know, it is, I don't I want to be fair to everybody. You'll ask me afterward. Okay, I hope we got, we got a little taste of your call. You should all enjoy Shabbat and Yeshiva greatly and the rest of your time here.